Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Southern Spectre Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah, and as always, thanks for listening. Alright, once again, we're going to kick things off uh, with another reading from the book Springfield, South Carolina, A Small Town Saga in Orangeburg County by Jacqueline Williams Cooper. Alright, here we go. Um, I got two of them to read for you today. The first one is called Croatin Oil, A Detective's Tool. So, here we go. Another tale which is told at fish fries and late night parties around here concerns bootleg liquor and croatin oil. As the story goes, a considerable amount of confiscated bootleg liquor had been stored in the jail. A problem arose when the moonshine began to disappear. It was obvious to all local sleuths that someone was drinking up the evidence as great quantities were missing night after night. One lawman decided to solve the mystery and let the finger of guilt fall where it might. He proceeded to open up the contraband beverage, pour out a bit, and add in its place a goodly portion of croatin oil. The wily detective assumed that he could easily put his hand on the culprit when <clears throat> certain symptoms appeared on the unknown character. All went according to plan except the results. Outcome, the lawman lost his job and sons of several prominent citizens suffered acute diarrhea. <laughs> oh, man, uh, you, you got to love that. That's a, that's a good way to, um, that's some good detective work right there. All right, this next one's going to be a little bit lengthy, but uh, I thought it was pretty good. It's called A Poltergeist Alarms the Countryside. One of the strangest happenings this area has experienced in recent years took place in early June in the 60s at a location about a mile from town. While living in the Horace Fanning farmhouse, Isla Mae Johnson happily anticipated the visit of her granddaughter Helen and granddaughter Grace. The visitors came all the way from Cleveland, Ohio, and were welcomed home by a large family. One night, when eight-year-old Grace was taking a bath, she said, Mama, I hope that old thing doesn't start again. Shortly after this comment, Isla Mae was astonished to see a bottle of lotion on a small table in the bathroom begin to move about on its own. This curious incident was just a beginning as shortly thereafter furniture began to bump up and down, chest drawers flew out, and a water bucket turned over spilling its contents everywhere. Happenings continued in the dining room with the dinner table overturned, apparently on its own. During an afternoon snack, Kool-Aid glasses flipped up in the air. When Grace tried to eat, someone would have to sit by her and hold a plate down, her grandmother recalled. If you turned your head, something would knock your plate off and glasses would sail across the room. The only place Grace seemed to be safe was when she played outdoors. The story continues with reports of the Bible being slammed shut while Mrs. Johnson sat reading. The big Bible was stood on end, and it bumped up and down, and the coffee table went tap, tap, tap about the room, she said. As word got out about this strange phenomenon, newsmen showed up, and reports appeared in the state. 
the state. I'm talking about the newspaper here. Ghost experts from Aiken came to investigate. One expert confided, Someone, perhaps an enemy, has cast a spell. It's probably witchcraft, a poltergeist. With this report, Mrs. Johnson traveled to the low country in search of a witchcraft expert. When such a person was found, she advised placing scriptures at each door facing. Returning home, Mrs. Johnson prayed and then fell asleep. My answer came during the sleep. It's going to do more than ever. Then it will be on its way out, she recalled. Upon awakening, Mrs. Johnson took a bath, and lo and behold, the wild antics started anew. Dirty bath water splashed all over the house. A bed board and a folding chair thumped about as the pandemonium continued. It went into every room. Then the poltergeist took a new turn. It moved the mischief to the outside area. There was a rooster crowing in a pen. He began to act in a strange manner. So finally, Mrs. Johnson could bear his distress no more. She unlatched the gate, and out he crept. The rooster's eyes began to bulge. Throwing his comb back, he started scurrying across the yard and on out into a nearby field. He was never seen again. Attention was next turned toward the four hens left in the yard. Their eyes took on the same bulging stare the rooster displayed. Their wings began to droop, and one by one, they started to drop dead. After the bewitching of the chickens, things settled down, and shortly thereafter, Grace and Helen returned to Cleveland. The family was relieved to be rid of the mischievous spirits, and things went well for a while. Suddenly, the thing returned to torment this family back in Cleveland. A chair was overturned while Grace's family was sitting in it by nothing apparent at all. The father, a Catholic by faith, called upon his priest, who promptly came bringing nuns with him. Finally, another priest was called in who sprinkled holy water about and offered incantations. After this visit, the poltergeist was exorcised and has never returned to aggravate this family. Isla Mae Johnson closes her story by saying, I hope everyone knows what Jesus said about witchcraft and work like that. Root work, there's a lake in hell for them. Well, that's going to that's gonna do it for today's reading from my little book I, I got. And I really do. <laughs> I really do appreciate that book. I, I love me and my wife. We love to go to yard sales, estate sales, antique shopping, uh, you know, any kind of good deals we can get our hands on. You know, we love doing stuff like that. And I picked that up a while back. And just now here recently, I was able to actually pick it up and take a take a good gander at it, you know, and uh, I <laughs> I just love things like that. I, I just, it just, I don't know. Certain like old things, you know how certain objects make you feel a certain way. Well, that's what these stories and things do for me. And I, I just really enjoy it. So now we've got another uh, missing persons case um, on today's episode. And uh, it's, it's another strange one. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. So you know what time it is. Now. It's time to pull up a chair, settle in, and cozy up for the Southern Spectre Podcast. Y'all enjoy now. On August 23rd, 1912, the Dunbar family headed out for an outing. 
to Swayze Lake in Louisiana. The family was out playing and swimming about when their four-year-old son, Bobby Dunbar, suddenly went missing. His parents, Lessie and Percy, looked everywhere until they had no other choice but to contact the authorities. The local police and state police, they eventually began a statewide manhunt for the child. They said they caught and dissected alligators. They threw dynamite into the lake, hoping it would raise his body from where the boy had drowned. None of their efforts paid off. So, a desperate search had begun across the United States. Um, The parents had put up a $6,000 reward for the child's return. No questions asked. Um, They printed up... uh, uh, the you know like a display like a, a billboard or whatever and it said um, large round blue eyes hair light but turning dark complexion very fair with rosy cheeks well developed stout but not very fat big toe on left foot badly scarred from burn when a baby so that was this the description that the parents had laid out and uh sorry about the, all the noise trying to get comfortable here so that's the the description that the parents had laid out for, you know, letting everybody know, hey, this is the kid we need to be on the lookout for, right? So Bobby Dunbar, to break down what we've covered so far, Bobby Dunbar had went missing on the day that the, the parents had went out uh, for a family outing to Swayze Lake in Louisiana. Everybody's out. Oh, you know, splashing and playing and swimming and having a good old time. And then Bobby just up and just suddenly just just disappears. Nobody knows where he's at. Nobody can find him. So they call in local authorities and soon local authorities call state police and they they begin to search, you know, the entire state. You know, hey, what's where's this kid at? So all the alligators they could get their hands on, they dissected looking for, you know, <clears throat> remains of the boy none to be found they start going around the lake where the boat where the family had been and throwing in dynamite and trying to raise a body up from the ground you know from the bottom of the lake couldn't find nobody so then the family puts out kind of like a pamphlet or a a poster or you know like a nation you know something that would go out nationwide as a description you know telling what the boy looked like so here's what happens eight months later eight months later the after this massive nationwide uh search for a boy uh, uh, this word had come about that uh there was a boy located in mississippi um that matched young bobby's description and supposedly the child was safe and sound in mississippi now the boy in question that they were referring to was traveling with a mr william cantwell walters now he was kind of like a handyman um and when police approached uh mr walters here you know he explained to them that he was uh this was this young man's name that he was traveling with was not uh bobby dunbar but in fact his name was charles bruce anderson and he was the son of uh his the illegitimate son of his brother and julia anderson and he 
Miss Julia Anderson was a longtime maid of the family. And according to Walters, Anderson had granted him custody of uh, the boy while she herself had returned to work. Um, so despite all of this and even the fact that neighbors around um, where Mr. Walters lived actually were, you know, hey, I can I can vouch for this man. I can vouch for this boy. They are who they say they are. Um, so despite all this, <coughs> the the authorities actually arrested Mr. Mr. Walters on grounds of kidnapping. Um, so they have this uh, Charles Anderson or Bruce, as they called him, Bruce Anderson, who they thought they suspected him to be Bobby Dunbar because they matched. He matched Bobby Dunbar's description. Um, so they actually got this kid and they brought him, you know, they brought him back to the Dunbars. Um, he was referred to as Bruce and, uh, of course he was left in uh, Mr. Walter's care by his mother Julia and um, so they said they arrested Mr. Walters on the grounds of kidnapping they returned Bruce back to the Dunbars believing he was Bobby Dunbar they said now this is where it gets a little hairy uh, one news one newspaper claimed it was a joyful it was a joyful reunion and the boy instantly was shouting mother mother upon seeing his mother Lessie. Um, another one recounts that the Lessie and Percy Dunbar the parents um, were hesitant to confirm that this boy was actually Bobby. Um, one even says that the mother claimed to have said I don't know I'm not sure. The boy, in return, reportedly started crying. So, you know, you got a couple of different reports out here. One one newspaper is saying that, yeah, it was a joyful reunion. The boy wanted his mama. He was calling out for mama. And then you got somebody else over, you know, another newspaper saying that, no, that's not what the case was. But they were he was a little hesitant to go to them. And they weren't quite sure if, it, if this was their kid. So, um after some time you know the dunbars brought this kid home and they welcomed him into their home and so leslie the mother said she had positively identified moles and scars on his body that actually confirmed that this was bobby the police then allowed the dunbars to take little bobby back to their home um julia anderson the mother of the boy that is that the Dunbars are thinking is Bobby, who is Bruce, has come up and she says she backs up what Mr. Walters uh, had claimed that in that the boy was in fact her son and that she had allowed Mr. Walters to watch him for a few days while she looked for work and that those few days had turned into months when she hadn't been able to find any. So she's out looking for work and she leaves him with Mr. Walters because apparently she trusts him. So the police call the Dunbars back and they request Bobby um, or Bruce to be put up in a lineup and see if Miss Julia Anderson could co correctly identify her own son. And here we go again. She couldn't. So this woman, Julia Anderson, that is saying that this kid is mine. This is my boy. His name's not Bobby. His name is Bruce. That, you know, this is my kid. She couldn't even identify the boy in the lineup. 
She asked whether he was the boy who had been found, but when she wasn't given an answer, she admitted that she was unsure. So she returned the next day claiming that she was, in fact, confident that the boy identified as Bobby Dunbar was, in fact, her son, Bruce. Um, Through all this, um, you know, there were courts, um, there were some court hearings and things of that nature, and the courts were kind of hesitant to keep bringing this case back up, you know. And uh, she couldn't pay for any kind of a lawyer or uh, any kind of battle that she could have in court trying to prove that this was her child. So she returned back to North Carolina, which is where she lived. And she unfortunately had to leave the boy, um, Bruce, who was now Bobby, with the Dunbars. So the Dunbars were fully confident that the child that they had in their custody was indeed Bobby. He returned home. He acclimated well. Um, he got along. He was playing with the other kids, his brothers. Um, he even This kid even actually started remembering and showing signs of remembering the home. Um, Walters, uh, Mr. Walters, was convinced he was convicted of kidnapping, and he spent two years in prison for his crime. And, um, and his attorney eventually appealed, and... Uh, the court uh, declined to try him again instead of releasing him. Uh, so until the end of his life, he actually maintained his innocence in the case. Uh, by now, it seems um, that everything was well and good. Bobby had been reunited with his family, and he was adjusting well. He grew up, got married, had four kids of his own. Um, and unfortunately, he died in 1966. This was Bobby Dunbar. Um, this was the kid that went missing, and uh, he was found supposedly being um, in the custody of Mr. Walters, who claimed that this was Bruce Anderson, not Bobby Dunbar. So now Bruce Anderson has become back to be Bobby Dunbar, and he goes and he grows up living in the Dunbar home, and he grows up thinking he's Bobby Dunbar. So... um, Though he had been told about the events of his childhood, um, family members recounted that he always maintained that he knew who he was and that he was, in fact, Bobby Dunbar. Um, now, <coughs> this is where it gets good. <laughs> pay attention, pay attention. All right. So in 2004, Bobby Dunbar Jr., the son of Bobby Dunbar, he can he consented to a DNA test and his daughter, Margaret Dunbar Cutright, who she had been on like a four year investigation about all this. She was trying to lay this thing for rest once and for all. And not only for her family, but for Mr. Walter's family as well, because remember, you know, he had been convicted and had to live with this for all his, his, all, all his life. He had been wrongfully accused it. Or so this is what she was thinking. So, um, she got him to get a DNA test from her grandfather, uh, Bob Dunbar. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I spoke wrong. Apologize. She wanted to pr- prove once and for all that her grandfather was Bob- Bobby Dunbar. The DNA from Bob Dunbar Jr. was compared to the DNA from his cousin, the son of Bobby Dunbar's younger brother. The test was conclusive. Bob Dunbar Jr. was not 
blood related to any of the Dunbar family. The boy the Dunbars had claimed as Bobby Dunbar all those years ago, in fact, turned up to actually be Bruce, the son of Julia Anderson, just as as though she had claimed way back when. So the Anderson family was thrilled to know that... um, that the test, it, it, you know, it justified what they had said all along. Uh, the Walters families, uh, they were overjoyed, and this kind of exonerated uh, William uh, Walters. And here's the thing. What happened to the real Bobby Dunbar? Nobody knows. Uh, Margaret um, actually believes that the child fell into the lake and either drowned or was eaten by an alligator. Um some journalists out there have actually theorized that the parents, uh, the Dunbars, uh, had actually done something to their son. Um, and they actually used Bruce Anderson to cover their deeds. Uh, whatever the case, some people speculate about that, that maybe something had happened, whether it was a misfortune or whether it was on, you know, uh, actually, you know, something done on purpose or whatever, that they actually believed that they were using another woman's child to cover up their what they had done wrong um now i guess after some doing some more searching i guess uh you know that you know back when they were at the lake that day some people are now saying that they had actually found footprints leading away from the lake and that they had heard um claims and stories and reports um from the locals in the area that a suspicious looking man had been seen carrying a young Bobby Dunbar away, but they were never confirmed. But here's my thing. If you're in a missing persons case and you've actually heard this, wouldn't you try to follow that trail? Um, So anyway, this is one of the mysteries that remain unsolved even today. Nobody knows what happened to the real Bobby Dunbar. Um, It's kind of weird, kind of awkward, but, you know, it is what it is. But... Uh, Bob Dunbar Jr. recalls a conversation he once had with his father, Bobby Dunbar, the man known as Robert Bobby Dunbar, and it was in 1954, in which he asked his father if he uh, if he knew he w- he really was Bobby and not someone else. And his father looked at him and gave him this answer. I know who I am, and I know who you are, and nothing else makes a difference. Um, I mean, hey, that's crazy. I mean, you know, how, what do you take away from that? You know, um, so that's, that's another one. I know it's kind of short, sweet, kind of little episode today, but I hope it was enough to get you to work, maybe back home from work. Um, but you know, it's just one of those things. And if you've noticed, I've been doing things, a couple of little things differently and I've been trying to, you know, Sometimes you kind of got to change things up. So I decided to kind of free ball it today, so to speak, and, you know, kind of go right off the cuff. You know, slingshot it. So why not, you know, change things up. And I'll be honest with you, the other way is a heck of a lot easier um, because I'm not used to just sitting up here and talking. And I'm like sitting out in my woodshed, looking around, cold, freezing. 
and just so you know it's it's little, almost six thirty on a saturday night um and so i'm telling this from the past actually so consider me a time traveler in your radio right now stranger things have happened so but anyway um i hope you guys enjoyed the episode maybe i'll do that again um i don't know like i said just trying to change things up and um I like the storytelling portion of it better. It kind of gives me a better layout and a better way to follow and things of that nature. So so I think I'm going to stick to the old way. And uh, who knows? You never know what the show will hold. I never know what I'll get a hold of next. I'll never know what I'll do next. And I kind of like that. You know, it's kind of spontaneity. I don't, I don't have a set timeline or anything like that. I come across a story. Hey, that would be good for the podcast. Boom, I'm going to put it on there. And so I'll go out, do my research, try to gather up some information to make a decent story for you guys. And that's what I've been doing. I hope you guys have been enjoying it. And uh, so who knows? Who knows what, what 2021 holds for the Spectre? Nobody. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. All right. But anyway, I'm going to leave you at that sorry i feel like i'm a little delirious tonight or something i don't know maybe it's the cold weather maybe i'm freezing my blood's thickening up or something i don't know but um anyway guys i hope you guys are out there i hope you're staying safe taking care of your family don't be going out here and getting sick wear your mask whether you believe in it or not take care of yourself take care of other people you know just do do the right thing um But anyway, guys, I'm going to leave it to you. And if you guys have any suggestions for an upcoming episode, reach out to me. Let me know if there's a subject out there. I don't care where it's from or what it's about. If there's something you want me to talk about, I'll talk about it. Reach out and touch someone. (laughs) But anyway, um, follow me on Facebook at the Southern Spectre podcast on Instagram at the Southern Spectre and on TikTok at the Southern Spectre. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Y'all take care and stay safe out there. Love you guys. Later.